0: All right, guys, welcome back to Chewing the Fat. Please don't turn that fat. Of course, I'm Carlos.
1: I'm always Queena.
0: And I'm
2: your ever effervescent Dr. Johnson.
0: Here he go. This guy.
1: <laughs> right out the gate. I mean, this right guy. Yeah, right <laughs> out the gate. Oh, man, this guy.
0: Like, what is the... Di- okay, let me ask you this. Dr. Johnson um have you partook in any spirits or I anything know, this know evening no
2: spirits this evening my uh walk around the neighborhood this evening has definitely reduced my desire to take in any spirits tonight
1: i got some spirits the holy spirit hey
0: hey i ain't a man Hey, but you know what? I never understood that. That's supposed to be the angelic language, and it's somewhat of a standard. Why does everybody speaking in tongues sound different? How the hell do you know what the other person talking about?
1: Now, we can go there because it is your personal language to God. That's why it sounds different. So I'm going to go ahead and educate the people. When you are speaking in tongues, you are on a different frequency. And the reason you are on that frequency is to confuse the enemy. So that's why everybody sounds different. And now we can get on back on topic. But since you went there, I had to go and do it.
0: Ever vigilant. <laughs> Ever vigilant. But, uh, Dr. Johnson, what you got, buddy, off the back porch this week? Off the back porch this week has to be the
2: bailout. This $2 trillion bailout that's being proposed in order to restart our economy. That was pretty robust
0: before the appearance. There you go, pulling in that coattail again. All right, well... There you go. And it was. I mean... Numbers are numbers. Dr. Just, I know we ain't supposed to talk about who we vote for and all that, but it's evident. Don't ask me. I, 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 I can't hey, take it. I'm not, no, you know, no. It's no need to ask him. It's I would never reveal. My, my vote is my <laughs> sacred right and, yes, and
2: not something I have to reveal. So, but I will say this, that regardless of what people may think about our president, oh. the one thing we have to realize is that the economy has been doing well. Those numbers, you can't deny those numbers. Now, who gets credit for it is another debate, but I do want to make sure we stick to this conversation about this bailout, because I think this is going to be something that we haven't seen in our lifetime, and I don't think it's something that we'll see again. Now, we did see the bailouts of 2008 and uh, 2007. 2007 was Bush's, 2008 was Obama's. That worked. And and, uh, no debate on that.
1: Right. Let's go ahead and say it. It worked. Well, I just be want to throw it out there because they love saying Obama's bailout and they fail to mention
2: that it worked. Well, let me caution you in saying that one was Bush's and one was Obama's. So you saying it worked, you're giving tacit agreement uh, with the fact that Bush actually did something right. Are you willing to go on record in saying that?
1: Oh, absolutely not. I was, <laughs> I was speaking specifically in regards to the bank and the auto bailout.
2: Oh, goodness. I'll tell you the partisan politics, (laughs) but you
1: can't get me, Dr. Johnson.
2: Well, well, you did say they work, so I got it on record. Now, the one thing I'm going to say is that we're looking at these incredible numbers, 500 billion to go to companies. We know the airline company has asked for a bailout. And mainly because no one's traveling. And from the simple fact that they are a volume business. And right now there's no volume when you talk about air flight. Even though I have to admit, my wife's aunt just flew to DC from Chicago for $147 round trip. So for those of you who don't mind taking that risk, I'll tell you.
0: She shouldn't have made the trip back. Just like all these kids flocking to Florida to go to the beaches. They shouldn't be allowed to come back. All it's gonna do is You know, proliferate the spread of the virus,
2: man. Hey, several liberties. That's what this country was founded on. So with that being said, the issue becomes, and right now, as of today, the bailout hasn't passed. And what's most controversial is the section that I mentioned, the 500 million or 500 billion, sorry, that will go to loan programs for industry. And there are two aspects that are holding up. A bill going through Congress, and I think we've heard some variations of this, is that in, a, in the midst of a national disaster, they should have put forth a clean bill. A clean bill means there is no piggyback, personal, hey, I want a bridge in my hometown, I want a library over here, or I have a pet project for my constituents I want to go through. There's a lot of pork in this bill, the political term for piggybacking on a bill with pet projects. A lot of pork in this bill. And it's Democrat and Republican. I know people love to say that Oh, typically when it's the party that's in charge, they both do it. And it's frustrating that in our time of need, in this nation's time of need, that they're putting pet projects in with this bill. It's
0: human nature, man. They selfish. It's human nature.
2: Well, I just, I don't understand it. And I think this is a time that we really should be on our telephones and we're sitting at home. We got plenty of time to call and send out some emails and text messages and Twitters and tweets and and Instagram messages, uh, get in their DM because it it needs to happen right now. And the other aspect is that $500 billion loan with Obama's bailout, and I'm glad you said this, Queen, with Obama's bailout, there was no oversight on what they could do with those loans. So a lot of those companies that received Obama's bailout decided to go and buy back their stock. So instead of doing some of the things that people thought they were going to do with it, they bought back their stock. That also happened with Trump's tax cut. The whole conversation was to boost the economy, create more jobs. Well, most CEOs and most companies took those savings from taxes they didn't have to pay, and they went and bought back their own stock. So Carlos, I'll let you explain what's the benefit of a company buying back their own stock.
0: You know, to restore public confidence is chief among them. When you look at, say a guy like Marvin Ellison from Lowe's, He just purchased $1 million of Lowe's stock to restore investor confidence in that particular stock. That's all it is. And also, you got to look at the fact of taking advantage of the current financial climate. Well,
2: that too. And you're dead on with that assessment. But the other piece is you create a false value in your company. So now, in this instance, where we're having tumultuous times, yes, I get that. You want to restore confidence. But when the economy is booming and you do that, you're giving a false sense that now you have a hot stock. And what we tend to do with hot stocks, people tend to jump on that bandwagon and you increase profits. So that's not going to the average American. The average American doesn't invest in the stock market. Probably wouldn't even know where to start with that process, even though they have apps for you to invest. But most people
0: don't understand a PE ratio. Or understand short sales. Exactly. It's too confusing. Exactly. They don't understand so, that. Go ahead, Carlos. I was just going to say that stocks in general, in large part, are speculative at best. So even though the financial records of companies are public, like you said, the average American isn't going to do that type of research. So those publicity tactics, like the aforementioned Martin Ellison did, you know, all it is going to do is try to steer investors toward that particular stock, making it, as you quoted it, a hot stock. Absolutely. Absolutely. So it becomes an
2: issue that, again, the pork that's in it. And right now, and I'm looking at a newsflash that is now, instead of $2 trillion, it's $2.5 trillion because they keep adding pet projects. This is unheard of. And the other aspect of it is that the Secretary of the Treasury, Steve Mnuchin, will get $250 billion to use as he sees fit. Wow. Talk about unchecked power. I just don't see how this benefits the average American. So they are throwing in $250 billion to go out and direct payments to every American uh, household. Right now, they're throwing around estimates of $2,400 per family, $1,200 per person and even adding more for a child to a maximum of 3,600 for a family of four. But and that hasn't passed either. Well, and, and it is all part of it. But again, the issue becomes that, okay, they set an income rate. They keep debating over what that income level should be. Is it 65,000? Is it 150,000? There's some debate about that also. But I just don't understand why we need all of these added pieces when you're trying to help a nation recover. It's unheard of. 250 billion goes to hospitals. However, we're still seeing governors, healthcare professionals on the news saying we need ventilators masks and personal protective equipment now they need gowns they need gloves they need masks and to stall this over both sides of the aisle the garbage that they're putting into this bill and some of them are worthy causes just just isn't the time to do it
0: queen what you think
1: well i i think that this one is definitely a partisan bill um, because it was Democrats that blocked it the other day. And I know that Mitch brought it to the floor again this morning um, and I haven't followed up since. But they blocked it because they felt that it was too much going to corporate executives and stakeholders and not enough going to the American citizens. Um, That's it. Right. And so you, you have to hold these corporations accountable um and so there was no commitment or no clause for the corporations um, to commit to saving jobs. So why should they receive all of this money so that they can do what you guys just said, buy back you know their stock without any commitment, To save jobs for American people.
0: Because the political stronghold that they have is too great. Corporations contributed millions and millions of dollars towards campaign funds. And as I alluded to earlier, most politicians are inherently selfish. They want to get reelected to stay in office. They want to get their own bills passed, their own pet projects off the ground. So naturally, they're serving their own self-interest. And these large corporations, they're aware of that and they're pandering to it. They dangle it. That's the proverbial carrot, I would say, that they wave in front of the horse. Right. They know that they put those dollars out there. Hey, I can get this guy in my pocket. I can forward my agenda and so on and so forth. Dr. Johnson, what would you say?
2: (sighs) Well, So the one thing I think about when it comes to all of this is that... Simply, it comes to devil's advocate. Like I say, most people are in the middle. They're common sense. They see information. They can interpret it. And they'll tell you that this doesn't make sense, that you see a need and you take advantage. It's, it's like seeing a wounded, watching these African safaris, and there's a wounded gazelle walking around. And I heard a <laughs> say saying, yeah, we're going to help, but you, you might be our next meal. I mean, it's ridiculous. I tell you, that's the one thing that keeps me as a registered independent. When I go and vote, uh, I'm independent. And that's why.
0: But you have to admit, well, let me say this, whether you want to admit it or not, that falls on the umbrella of capitalism.
2: Yes. But here's the thing. When you talk about capitalism, and this is where I, I really get upset with, with certain aspects of that.
0: Capitalism is devoid of morality, though, Dr. Johnson. But our, what you're, but
2: our government subsidizes too many industries to say that it's a purely capitalistic system because it's not. Well, of course it is. We subsidize sugar. We subsidize corn. We even subsidize oil and gas. Now, I'm not saying that's a bad thing. But don't just tell me that it's a purely capitalistic from the standpoint of there's no government interference or support because there is. We wouldn't have the Internet without the government's funding. We wouldn't have a, an interstate system without government funding. So it's a mixed market system. And I, I'm happy to be a capitalist. I love living in a capitalist nation. But we just have to have honest conversations about what things really are.
0: Yeah. And we got to get rid of the lobbyists. That's the underlying influence, I would say. The silent partner in forwarding the corporate agenda is lobbyists. The influence that they have over government officials, man, is stifling. It really is. You can argue the point, but the proof is in the put, as they say.
2: Well, let me correct one thing. I said Mnuchin would have had control over a $250 billion fund. No, he's going to have control over a $500 billion program. Woo! <laughs> so, Yeah, buddy. And he's a former Goldman Sachs executive. Who is he going to help out? His old buddies and friends. Exactly. Now, I can't even tell you I'm against any of those aspects as long as the American middle class benefits from. How are you going to help the middle and lower
0: class? That's not even a factor. Not to them. Let's be honest. Let's just call a spade a spade. You know that behind closed doors, that's not even a part of the conversation.
2: Well, the fact that they named it the Exchange Stabilization Fund tells you everything. And again, my thing is you're going to save these corporations from going under that are essential to American life. Fine. Just say you can't turn around and benefit, even with the TARP, right? The TARP bailout, the Obama bailout. Executives were handing themselves bonuses, even though they took money from the government to stay afloat. It's unfathomable, I tell you.
0: I can't wrap my mind around it sometimes. Yes, you can. It's an animalistic nature. Self-preservation. I got to think about me first. Queenie, any closing remarks?
2: Um, I
1: just hope that they get more money for health care as well as to expand the unemployment benefits. I know that that was two things that the Dems were pushing for. So let's hope in the end that they that they all, you know, come together and do the right thing for the American citizens.
0: Doing the right thing for the American citizen would be since you've went through and said, "Okay, I have these essential businesses. I'm going to close most businesses." But I have these essential businesses that I'm going to keep open. If you want to do the right thing by the American public, if, and you're going to have those businesses that you deem essential, then give them hazard pay. If you don't want to let them go home and self-isolate, give them hazard pay. Give them some incentive for coming to work and exposing themselves to contracting the virus. What's wrong with that? But that's not even a topic of discussion. But I bet you one thing, I bet you they're not going to Capitol Hill. They're not gathering in large groups or anything like that. Policymakers aren't doing it. Yeah. Well, they did uh, allocate $250 billion in this
2: bill to unemployment insurance to expanding it. So that is in the bill. It's just all of the pork associated with it. It should have been a clean bill. That's my take on
0: it. you trying to say pork isn't clean? (laughs) According to the commercials I grew up on, it's the other white meat. (laughs) 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 But seriously, though, all of this that we're discussing plays into the title of this week's episode, which is the American dream. You know, everybody want to live the American dream. We were all sold that dream. We're all trying to realize it and bring it to fruition. But by definition, what do you guys think the American dream is? And I got crickets.
1: Man, Uh, I think we've been sold a bill of goods. I don't think that there is no definition to the American dream. I think that the American dream is autonomy. And so what the dream looks like for me may not look like your dream. I think that's really what America is. However, the patriarchy wants to put everyone in a box and say that the American dream looks like a family with 2.5 kids, the house, the picket fence. But to me, I think it's, you know, whatever the person decides is the American dream for them. I think we've been sold. Yeah, we've been bamboozled. Plymouth Rock didn't land on us. We've been sold
0: wolf tickets, yeah, like they say in the South.
1: Right. I don't think that the picture that has been painted for us is attainable. So, you know, your American dream is what is within reach for you, because we'll be forever grasping at the watercolor picture that's been painted for us.
0: Now, Queen. Well, Queen,
2: that's why I let you go first. That's it. That's it. (laughs)
0: That's it. But I will say this, Queen, and you basically said that the American dream is individually specific. But I think one recurring theme in anyone's American dream is home ownership. I think that's a staple and what a person would deem their American dream is. Well,
2: before we jump into that, let me offer a rebuttal, because I have to admit that I truly believe in the American dream. Of course you do. I don't think it's dead. Patriot. Well, I am a product of a single mother of seven children, grew up in the projects in Monroe, Louisiana. Shout out Eastside Booger T New Homes. And today I own my own home. I have two kids, two dogs, and a wife. The Lord has blessed me beyond measure. I've attained the highest level of education. Really didn't see any of those things at a fairly young age, but it's come to fruition with the love and support of a lot of people around me. And
0: it wasn't just You're right. It wasn't just you. So it was you and your service to the American military. Well,
2: that that played a large part. You're right. it.
0: It played a large part. It opened a lot of doors for you because ultimately Your dream is bigger than the average person's dream who didn't serve, simply because your military service.
2: Well, and keep in mind, that's something I volunteered to do. I raised my hand with the full knowledge that the military has one job. I know there are plenty of jobs and opportunity in the military, but guess what everyone has to do? They have to go and qualify with that weapon. The job of the military is to deploy and kill. There's no other two ways about it and to be shot at and put yourself in harm. That was a choice. And I made that choice to serve my country proudly and, and, and loved every bit of my time in the military.
0: But- Thank there, you for your service, Dr. Johnson. I
2: appreciate it. And the one thing, and well, let's not forget about the military spouse that they serve too, Queen.
1: <laughs> sure, they sure do.
2: <laughs> they do, I'll tell you. But the thing about it is, is that that's still a pathway. It's a possibility. After going to Iraq, being in Iraq for a year and seeing destitute families, destitute individuals, looking at families that are living in earth huts with grass roof and dirt floors, no electricity, no running water, the American dream is still possible. Now, does that mean that there are some that benefit more than others? You have to have specific skills, a pathway to it. You have to have access. Those things we need to discuss, those aspects, they need to be a little better. And and just so much as giving people the information, not a handout, but the information to do better for themselves and the possibility of doing better for themselves. So I think the American dream lives.
0: Well, I will say this. I was reading this article today and I was reading this article because you guys know I'm not on social media or anything like that. But I just happened to be reading through an article that I saw by Andre Perry. You know, this guy's a CNN and MSNBC contributor, and he basically said that homeownership lies at the heart of the American dream, representing success, opportunity and wealth, you name it. But he presented data that basically helps confirm that racism is taking money out of black homeowners collective pockets in a painful sum of the total of about one hundred and fifty six billion dollars keeping those African-Americans who are striving for the American dream from reaping its benefits. What do you got to say about that one, Dr. Johnson?
2: Well, let's talk about, give me specifics. How is it saying that's happening? I got it. Give me specifics.
1: I'm ready. Put me in, coach. <laughs> Put me in the game. Take the
0: baton.
2: I'm not doubting. I just want to hear information. Doubt it. Take
0: the baton, queen.
1: You know I got it. <laughs> so black families average 30 points less than the national average. So the national average of home ownership is about 65.1% according to National Realtor. The white average for families is 71%. That's above the national average. Black families are at 41% and then Hispanic families at 45% and Asian families at 53%. So of all the races, We are dead last. So how could it not? There's the data, Dr. Johnson. There it is.
0: Okay. And when you couple that with the fact that Blacks are more than twice as likely to be denied for a conventional mortgage loan, how do you explain that?
1: Right. And you know, another thing I thought about too, so not only right so this this also speaks to equity right so not only are we below the national average white families also have homes to pass down so they they started with the leg up we have nothing to pass down so we 10 steps back out the gate because our families didn't have homes to pass
0: down to us the absence of inheritance come on dr johnson
2: okay and again, I'm not denying the data as it stands, but my issue becomes, okay, so what are we doing about it? Because we've had we've had these conversations for years, right? And what are we doing actively as a community to, to rectify this? So looking at the Census Bureau, and just to kind of give it, you know me, I like to frame it. So let's frame the conversation first. So we've had, within the last 20 years, we've had uh, two recessions. Well, one in 2001 and a really big one uh, around 2008, 2009. So in the middle of the 2001 recession, according to the United Census, the home ownership at that point was on the incline. And even through that recession, it continued through. Now, being that 2008 recession was specific to the housing bubble, home ownership was on the decline. It was at its height in 2004 and it's been on the decline ever since. Now, there's no argument for me that that there's a uh, disparity in home ownership among different ethnic groups. Not not an argument. It sure
0: isn't. My only... The statistics don't lie, dog. But you was talking about in 2007, 8 era, when you look at back then, and I know because, you know, I was in the financial industry. When you look at it, Back then, the denial rate of loan applications for conventional mortgages was 34% black, 30% Hispanic, 16% Asian, 12% white. You talk about disparity, those numbers are staggering.
2: And I would like to dig a little deeper because I think a lot of times we have that. So then let's look at their portfolios. Like we talked about in one of our previous shows and let's hold them accountable because as you know wells fargo was sued for that yes uh, yes chase was sued yes there. all of them so i and that's why i love to have conversations about action because i'm not denying the facts but it's that if we want the american dream to continue to be just that then we have to address these issues and address them accordingly because if you don't have facts and information and, and these are two portfolios side by side you you accepted one to deny the other then you, you need to explain that. Because that's that's not our fair and ethical business practices. So in no way am I trying to excuse that. But I think there also has to be a separate conversation about priority. What are we doing to educate families? Why aren't they buying? Why, why aren't why don't they have maybe the prerequisite savings to get a home? And then once we get to that, that bridge and we figure out and we see that, okay, well. Yep, they done everything they supposed to do and the system is an issue. Then we address the system well, itself if, and these if, issues. If if, so, if they were go ahead.
1: So who's to say they didn't meet the criteria? That's the problem. They probably were and, and meeting I, the I, and criteria and still was getting denied based so, on race. Uh, and, and, and right, and doing my research, Zillow uh did a did a, a study in twenty sixteen that showed twenty-one percent of blacks, black applicants were denied. Um, fifteen point five percent of Hispanics, and the national denial rate is nine point eight. So there we are again, well above.
2: Yeah. Well, but I, we still got to dig deeper. It just can't be the reporting of that. It has to be a, a deeper conversation and digging into the background and information that's being
0: presented. I'm going to tell why you why, Dr. Johnson. Because they black. Exactly. And you can't deny, and you, I know you like to play devil's advocate, <laughs> but even you can't deny that there is a racial impact on mortgage market values, on home market values. The percentage of black residents in a neighborhood has an impact on that neighborhood's market value you can't sit here and deny that the data shows that homes in neighborhoods where the share of population is at least 50 percent black are valued roughly half the price as homes in neighborhoods where little to no black residents reside how do you refute that dr johnson well i don't because i'm not one of those uh
2: okay obama got elected we're in a post-racial society i'm not i'm not one of those <laughs> So uh, these issues exist, but I think the only way to address those issues is to have that information, put it on the table, and then now let's have a conversation with our policymakers about how we're going to address this. We just can't keep beating at the table and saying, here's the information. There needs to be some type of action. There needs to be some coordinated political action that has to take place and some reckoning within our own community to change all
0: of this well when you look at it politics play a part in all of that when you look at the resources and the funding that's allocated to african-american neighborhoods versus non-african-american neighborhoods we ain't just gonna say white any other race as long as there are no african-americans in that particular neighborhood the fund allocations are particularly skewed the other way
1: and it's also in how the city is zoned you know so carlos and i grew up uh, in the same area in Shreveport, I'm from Lakeside. He's from Allendale. And growing up, I always wondered why we had to have liquor stores in our neighborhood. Okay, and and <laughs> right, but but you won't catch a liquor store in South Shreveport. Um, you won't catch a liquor store in certain areas of Bolger City. And so, uh, after I became old enough to research this, I, I realized that our neighborhoods aren't even zoned residential areas. So if, if the if the area in the city is not zoned residential, guess what they can do? They can put up a liquor store on the corner. But
2: that's it. Right? But if the
1: neighborhood is zoned residential, they
2: can't. But then that goes back to the argument of where is the coordinated political action to stop these activities? Where's the coordinated outcry? Well, I, I tell you, you get more of an outcry if you said something bad about Beyoncé, than you would about
0: the things did. <laughs> you, you really would. This is true. The beehive will stand up. Well,
2: and, and that's why I say that we. there's one thing to, to point at the system, but I think it's also another that it has to be some self-reckoning within our culture to address this. So let me go ahead and piss off a few of our listeners now. And say this, right, when you talk about priorities, there has to be a re- restructuring of our priorities internally of what's important to us, right? We'll show up for the party, but we won't show up at the voting booth. We'll go and buy cars and rims, but we won't invest in our kids. I mean, and I know I'm being broad with this conversation, but- You're
0: not. I, look, you're, I, grew, you're not. I grew up in- You're not because that's that's true. And you're not because we'll participate in the water cooler conversation and complaining about companies and politics and all of that, but we won't get off the couch and go out and pass around petitions or even sign petitions or write our congressman or our senator or anything like that. We don't do that.
2: It's hard to respect a person that doesn't respect themselves. I'm not saying one action is more important than the other, but I don't think you get any of those political actions without some serious self-reckoning and changing of priorities within our community. Now, let me say something else that's unpopular. People had a fit when Bill Cosby made his comments about the state of Black America. They had a heart attack. Oh, he's lost his mind. Bill's talking about us. And and not saying I'm a fan of Bill Cosby. I think a lot of those statements were dead on. You can't talk about what you're tired of going through and tired of dealing with if you're not putting together a coordinated political action or even making your neighborhood safe. Who says I need to run to someone else's neighborhood for it to have value? I should be valuing my community. I should make people want to come to me. Think about it. Musically, we've made people come to us. Dance, we've made people come to us. There are areas where we've made people come to us. So again, why not build your community with that Not, same standpoint we needs mm-hmm. to be safe better schools nope. safer communities i'm sorry nope. get them clean slide. get them clean let
1: this slide that because they can't come to us um again i'm from shreveport west shreveport every single school in my neighborhood is closed and I'm gonna go through the list Central Elementary, that's it. George P. Hendricks, that's it. uh, West Shreveport, yep, Ingersoll, yep. the only school, Laurel, Street, yep, that's five, I and that's five schools in less than a mile radius, five schools less than a mile radius. Foul Park was just turned to a middle school, Midway is now an elementary school, that is seven. I just counted off to you. Wow. So, how can I build my neighborhood when you are closing my neighborhood schools? I grew up in Lakeside. I went to Linwood. Carlos and I grew up blocks away from each other. I went to a white school in Cedar Grove. I did not go to Jazz Clark because so, so they, it's, we can't. There's no way that I can build up schools and and rally around my community when they're doing everything possible to shut down my area. West Shreveport looks like a ghost town where my grandmother's house is and where Carlos' grandmother's house is. You you wouldn't even want to ride through there in the
0: daylight. It's a barren wasteland. It,
1: It is a barren wasteland. And that is because they built that interstate and they have cut off the resources to that side of town. So it is blatant. It is blatant. So I and I don't think that 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 the people aren't trying to rally around. I know I was at every school board meeting when they was talking about closing Fair Park, and I didn't even go to Fair Park, but I bet you I was there, and it and, and and it was full. It was a lot of people there.
0: It goes back to political initiative. There's not much you can do to deter it. And going back to what Queenie said about the schools and all of that. That does have a direct impact on home values and property values in that particular community. Absolutely.
1: Man, our neighborhood was, f- I loved growing up where we grew up. We could walk down the street, Lakeside and Allendale. Uh, although it had crime, we had a sense of community. That's it. Now it's just barren. It looks destitute. It breaks my heart every time I go home. Now, I am fortunate enough that my family's home still remains, and my cousin is living in my family home, and he's renovated it, and is keeping my grandmother's house up. But several other homes on my grandmother's block, it looks horrible. I'm glad she's not here to see it.
0: Moonhead, huh, man. <laughs> you I forgot oh man.
1: Yeah, he he's in the family. Home.
0: That's it. I know he wasn't going nowhere. Yeah, but seriously, devil's advocate. Uh-huh. I mean, I'm sorry, Doctor Johnson.
2: But y'all just made my point. The point is, like, even you mentioning how there used to be pride within those communities and now that's gone. I love what you said two shows ago when you said that we've done a horrible job of passing down values, right? And we talked about generational divide. We've done a horrible job of passing down values, And I think that was a moment of looking in the mirror and coming to that realization and understanding that there is no one coming in on a white horse that's gonna save or change or fix this. So turning to another community to fix our problems is, is an issue for me. It has to be a political block moving together fixing and changing the state of Black America. It has to be.
1: Oh, I love the state of Black America. That don't come on no more, even though I can't stand Tavis. I did <laughs> enjoy that show.
0: Why are you hating on the camper? Or-
1: Man, I'm not even going to go there on Tavis, but uh, maybe we need to bring that Black, Dr. Johnson. We need to come on back with the state of Black America.
2: <laughs> you do. It needs to be an honest conversation. And I would just like to say that uh, it's troubling to me that we keep bringing up capital It ownership.
0: really is. I, you know what? I think I think secretly she harbors a capital affliction. I think she does. Ooh,
2: she
1: Move on to the next topic. What
0: we got up there? <laughs> no, we were talking about the American dream. And I know we were talking about home ownership and all that, but I want to like transition into college enrollment. mm
1: Let's talk about it.
0: Let's talk about it because as an American, if I was to live my dream, I would want my children to live a better life than I did. So I would want them to go to college and get a good education and go on and do great and wonderful things in their life. But I think from a cultural standpoint, the value of attending college differs from race to race. And I can't, you know, speculate as to why. I was hoping that you educationally astute people can enlighten me as to why that happens.
1: Well, given that I'm currently writing my dissertation on college access, I feel like I'll be able to shed a little light on this area.
0: Preach, then Apostle.
1: (laughs) So, So minority students. Uh, yet again, minority students lag behind their white counterparts in regards to matriculating and persisting through college. So why? So why is that? Uh, one of the areas is, as Dr. Johnson has mentioned previously on our shows, our socioeconomic status. Many of our parents did not go to college, so they're not educated. They don't have the necessary tools to educate their children uh, on That's college. if they
0: graduated high school. That's
1: if they graduated from high school, right? That's it. So having the conversations about college doesn't always happen in our homes. And so because of that, we lag in regards to, you know, college enrollment. Now, there are several college access programs out there um, to help students. And so I'm gonna do a little plug right now. So for our listeners, if your child's high school has an upward bound program at their high school, seek that out. If there is a gear up program at your child's high school, seek that out. Here in Louisiana, there is another organization called Career Compass. They go into the high schools and they help students plan for college. So there are several college access programs. Uh, AVID is in other states. I think AVID is in Texas with you, uh, Dr. Johnson. AVID is a a big organization that helps minority students with college access. So these programs are designed to help minority students matriculate to college. They're there for us. So please take advantage and take an opportunity to be a part of these programs and help your students matriculate to college because we're not going to school. And I'll take, you know, the state of Louisiana as an example. So Louisiana's graduation rate right now, I want to say is about 65%. So the the graduation rate has increased, um, but the number of students that decide to go to college has decreased.
2: Oh, that's an increase? (laughs) (laughs) increase
1: That's an increase for Louisiana. Wow. Right. So the graduation rate has increased over the past couple of years, but the rate of students that choose to go to college has not. So Louisiana still has a long way to go in regards to encouraging, you know, students to pursue post-secondary education. So
2: I like the way you framed it. You didn't just say college. You said post-secondary education, because I think what's missing from this conversation also when we talk about college, but college is expensive. If we talk about the wealth disparity in this country and the economic divide, and that's a big part of it too, that you know it's become more and more expensive to go to these institutions. I have a, a daughter that's graduating this year, getting ready to go to college, and I'm probably going to have to sell everything but my socks to uh, send her to college, but not a problem. But the one thing that I think we tend to forget about is the fact that there are other options. Yeah. Right? They're plumbers. I have a classmate from Carroll High School in Monroe, Louisiana, that became a plumber. And I guarantee you, he weights probably double what I make. And those are honorable careers that we frown upon. I love the show Dirty Jobs. When he talks about the dirty jobs that are out there that people don't want to do, but people are making well into six figures doing those type of jobs, working in oil fields, A carpenter, being a truck driver. I have a nephew that's a truck driver that had a hard time with conventional education, but now being a truck driver, he can provide for his family. Right, but there are other educational opportunities than just college. Now, listeners, don't get me wrong. In no way am I saying that if that's your skill set and if that's something you want to do, that you shouldn't go out and do it. But there are other options also. I have a nephew that's a welder. At a nuclear power plant that's doing well. So yeah, you know sometimes the conventional education system isn't for everyone. Everyone that has those skills and has that desire should have access, and I think that's you know part of the American dream that's really dying. Right to go back to our overall theme of the show, from the fact that it's become more and more expensive to even finance the American dream, which has always been a conversation around college. But let's not forget about the other opportunities. Our fine community college systems uh, in Texas and in Louisiana that do a great job of providing our students with skills. My first occupation was more of a—I can't say it's a trade—but I was a respiratory therapist. That's not a four-year degree, but that put me on a path to stabilizing myself, my family, to where I could go to school and afford to. I go was
1: to just going to touch on other allied health programs. Since you did welding and all of those, so like respiratory therapy, there are other two-year programs in the medical field that also do very well financially with an associate's degree. So surgical technician also does very well. And I might add nursing. So a lot of people don't know you do not need a BSN or a bachelor's degree in nursing to be a nurse You can be an RN with a two-year Associate's degree they sit for the ADN RN. They sit for the same NCLEX they sure do. It is the same NCLEX. So those of you that are listening if you have a student that aspires to be a nurse they can be a nurse or right from a community college and I don't mean an LPN because that is not a degree program. Now they can be an LPN. That program is even shorter. Most LPN programs are 12 to 15 months to 18 months. But you can be an RN with an associate's
0: degree. There we go. Absolutely. (laughs) Love that conversation. Oh yeah that was that was great. Now I would like to transition to retirement. Oh. Because we're talking about the American dream. The American dream, okay, I want to be able to own a home, I want to send my kids to college, and I want to be able to have a healthy retirement budget so I can live out the rest of my days in comfort. But what never ceased to amaze me is how ill-prepared most Americans are for retirement.
1: Man, I'm just going to say, you, consumer you better put your pennies away now because Social Security is going to buckle. It will not be here. <laughs> it is g- causing a financial strain on the American economy, and it is it is going to run out in 2035.
0: I said 2035. We, we say Dr. Johnson's Social Security is a form of socialism, right? I, I, well, <laughs> hey, I banged him in the, the corner, name, queen.
2: The name implies it all. The name implies it all. But on a serious note, The one thing that we have to consider is that the average American right now lives from check to check. We are a consumer society. I tell you, we buy everything for no reason. We really do. And the one thing that really shocked me was looking at the Department of Labor and looking at some of those numbers that they were saying that 55 percent of Americans, 55 percent of Americans do not have a retirement in their 40s, that's at least 500,000. Now, I know people may think 500,000, that's a big number. How do you think you're gonna live comfortably? The lifestyle that you're in now, right? If you've only saved 50,000, 100,000. Yeah, oh, I have 120,000 in my 401k.
0: You couldn't live two years on Yep, that. because when you reach so, the retirement age, that's what, early retirement is 62 and a half but the retirement age is 65 that's what i'm saying so when you look at it your retirement is supposed to be able to span for at least 20 years but the average person don't have enough to sustain them for 20 years and you were saying how most americans are buying up everything right but when you look at it more than half of american workers have less than a thousand dollars in their savings account oh don't get me started on that one. That's stifling. Like, are you serious? That's the definition of living paycheck to paycheck, doc. Less than $1,000 in your savings account, like, you have no buffer for unforeseen issues in your life.
2: Well, we have these conversations. They say you're supposed to save 25% of what you make, right? Every month. These aren't financial conversations that we have, especially in the black community. We don't have these conversations that when you sat down and you started out on your life, uh, when you say I make 60000 a year, you're probably spending 60000 a year. Or more. Now think about this. We're talking about people that have the type of income where they can at least put up some type of savings and they don't. Then let's have another conversation about those who are being hard hit right now by the current economic environment and the current state of affairs. When you work on an hourly, you're not salary; you're on an hourly paycheck, right? You're raising a family and you're working two and three jobs just to maintain the American dream. So that's another conversation. I think the concept of it needs to change. I think we've gotten lost in consumerism right? It's what you own that make the American dream happy. The American dream needs to be
0: financially secure. Man, it's hard. You
1: know, I got to jump in. We cannot discuss, um, you know, African-American families not having money in their savings account without addressing culturally how our families are different. I really think that You know, in every aspect of our lives, our culture plays a role. So even financially, you'll find that most African-American families were communal. Right. So if one person make it, if one person is the, the one person in the family that graduated from college or got the good job, whether they graduated from college or not, if they have just a little bit more, what are they doing? They sending money back home, right? So I got to help my auntie. I got to help my cousin. I got to help this person. I got to help that person. So it's hard for us to save when culturally the expectation is we help our family.
0: That's it, like Tupac said. It's true. Hey, long as some of us got it, all of us got it, her man.
1: All of us got it. That's all it. All of us got it. So, I did want to swing back. You know, of course, I always got to swing it back for the women. So...
0: The matriarch.
1: <laughs> I always got to put a plug in for women. So, there is a saving grace for retirement. So y'all better hope that this trend continues. So because the lifetime earnings for women has increased and more women are in the workforce, the more women work, the more women earn per hourly, their lifetime earnings have increased rapidly. So that is actually, you know, a potential saving grace for social security. I just want to throw that out there. So sisters, keep doing what you're doing. We out here saving the world as usual.
0: You know, I, man whatever what it is is y'all working us in the ground and collecting life insurance <laughs> <laughs> they collecting that life insurance on Dr. Johnson <laughs> well, hey hey them hundred dudes working us into the ground oh man we gotta go to work and earn money yeah. to support the family and come home and do the hunter dudes to make the wife happy right but my thing is man I would want to talk about the number of retirees well people that have reached the retirement age in the workforce, still.
1: Can we talk about
0: it? Man, that is crazy, man. One fifth of older Americans are still working. What is yes, the problem? I want to tell them go home. Please. Man, <laughs> hey, even the Census Bureau and the, the Bureau of Labor Statistics is telling these people yeah. go home. Go but they home. can't. They can't, man. They can't because their expenses are too high. You know, and the largest expense is pretty much healthcare.
1: It's a sad state when my waiter delivery driver is over sixty-five. You feel me? I don't want Miss Eltha bringing me my wings.
0: Ain't <laughs> a man, especially with this coronavirus, being that it's affecting more older people than than younger people. She can't bring me my wings. You know what I'm talking about? Well, Miss Mildred, you can take the wings back to Best Buy. I don't want them. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't want them Buffalo Wild Wings. You can take them right on back. Mildred.
2: But that circles back to how we started with off the back porch, the bailout and our politicians. Because there's no way for the drugs that the heart medication, the anticoagulating drugs and the pain that there's no way these drug industries should be making these type of profits. Right. Off of this Asian
1: population. Big Pharma. Big Pharma runs the company, runs the country, I mean.
0: Oh my God, man. I just can't fathom the fact that you have older Americans that have to make the conscientious decision to say, well, I'm going to either buy my medication
2: or, pay or my buy name.
0: groceries. Right, right. Which one?
2: But that's become the sad state because once again, I think that politically, even though people like to say they're politically active, we've fallen asleep at the wheel for a number of years. And I, I have to admit, that was one of the disappointing aspects of uh, Obama's administration, that that was
0: never addressed. Man, you going to get off my boy. you don't get off my boy, 45 supporter.
1: I was just going to say what?
0: <laughs> it was
2: never addressed.
0: Well, what was never right, addressed? Within
2: Obamacare or, or any of those aspects, it was never addressed. The
0: cost because- of
2: drugs in this country
0: it was never addressed
1: so the 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 so what people don't know is the version no that's because i'm frustrated (laughs) the version of the affordable health care act that finally got passed was so watered down that's not you know, everything that that was in there. He had to water it down just to get some bipartisanship to get it
2: passed. Now, think about this. He had to dilute it. Wait a minute. He had to dilute it. And I'm glad you said that, but you had a Democratic House and a Democratic Senate and a Democratic President.
1: And and they still blocked. No, they didn't. He lost it. They still, they blocked everything
2: he did. No, 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 no. When he pushed through Obamacare, right? And let me call it what it is, the Affordable Care Act. There, he had a Democratic House, a Democratic Senate, and a Democratic President.
1: No. I think I'm going to have to double-check that, because at that time, we we lost the House.
2: Check it. You lost it in 2010.
1: Okay, we're going to check that. And I also want to say that I wrote my senator, I received a letter, I also got a ticket to go to the mall to see the inauguration. So people do write senators, because I'm one of them. Thank you. Yeah. Wrote Senator Harry Reid, got a response, got two tickets, flew to DC, and was standing on the mall uh, when uh. when he was inaugurated. Thank you.
2: (laughs) So let me knock your thoughts off, Uh, Miss Queena. Not only was I there, but I was in the VIP section. Tickets that were given to me by a Republican senator From Nebraska, all the Republicans gave away their tickets behind uh, Rosie Perez. I like Rosie Perez, uh, Susan Sarandon, and her her husband at the time. Not only was I there, I also went to the Commander in Chief ball that night. So, look, it was a historic moment. I'm just saying, I was disappointed (laughs) that those things were not addressed. That simple. Now, again, you said that when the Affordable Care Act went through, they didn't lose the House and the Senate until 2010. So within those two years, explain to me why that did not get done.
1: I think you're mistaken, but I'm going to let it slide today.
0: That's only because she don't have the research back in her findings.
2: <laughs> <laughs> and, I, and I get it. And all of that conversation was just to go back to say that that's why our senior citizens are truly, I mean, some of those medications that they, they, they pay for. And, and, and the thing is, the more the medication is capable of saving your life,
0: the higher it costs. This is true. Can anybody explain to me how Magic Johnson got through AIDS? I'm oh, mad.
2: Because, Martin, you've seen all the recent commercials saying that, hey, take this pill to help prevent you from getting HIV. Modern medicine caught up. Right. He—he As ha- it will, too, with the coronavirus. Right. We'll catch up. It just takes a little time.
0: He got in on the ground floor then. I mean, because you're talking about modern medicine caught up. I mean, AIDS epidemic was just not going into fluid bloom, and this dude beat it like i mean come on
2: oh the aids was the the flashpoint in the 90s it was still but by that time they had a, a few years of research and development and drug developments right everyone remembers AZT, even though it had some horrible side effects but that was the right the first wave of medication that began to help with hiv and a syndrome so absolute AIDS syndrome AIDS. <laughs> I know aids has syndrome in the name and i said yeah possibly. oh man <laughs> so uh at this point i would just like close it out by saying that until we address the economic factors that keeps older americans in the workforce you may as well get used to it because that was the baby boomers right were more financially sound than our generation imagine what that's going to look like for right. us right
1: well imagine what's happening now with everyone having to work from home so i'm in a student affairs group on facebook and one of the funniest things was that all of the millennials were complaining that they having to teach their co-workers boomers how to set up zoom at home <laughs> <laughs>
0: No, that's not right. Facts. Come on, that, come on, Mister Robert. Let me show you how to log on. That's deplorable. <laughs> don't do that. <laughs> yeah,
1: I'm. I'm. I'm one of those people that enjoy working with older people too. It don't bother me.
0: Oh, yeah, man. Just sharing in their wisdom. It does help. But Dr. Johnson, this week in excellence, it's you, buddy.
2: This Week in Excellent goes out to every teacher that had to, at the drop of a hat, take everything they had planned for the rest of this year and put it aside and develop a new way of delivering instruction to our students remotely. That's a monumental task I don't think a lot of people truly recognize because it's not just as simple as, hey, well, you get a video or you get a a quiz or an assessment. How do you take them through the curriculum that you have planned to make sure that learning still occurs? And I tell you, our teachers are rising to the occasion. Queena mentioned last show that they they put together a Facebook group. It wasn't the government doing it. It wasn't some organization. They got together on Facebook and said, this is how we're going to come together and make this happen. Teachers of America, I salute you and I tell you, you don't get enough praise, and I, I want to say thank you. I still have two children that are students themselves, so I appreciate that. And I'd be remiss to not mention the healthcare workers of America, who are continuing to go out every day and take care of a sick population, putting themselves at risk, knowing that they're, by going to work, right, being at in the hotbed of where this virus is definitely spreading, right? Because everyone is severely sick is in the hospital and they're continuing to go to work every day to take care of those individuals and go home to their families, right? Not only are they risking themselves, but they're risking their families to take care of American citizens. So my hats off to teachers and healthcare workers.
0: This is true. And you said something about the teachers and how they're making efforts to be able to reach their students remotely. Let's talk about teacher pay. When you talk about the fact that most educators are grossly underpaid, it's just ridiculous. And even the people in the healthcare industry that are on the front lines, exposing themselves to the virus and being able to contract it or whatnot, where's the hazard pay? right that's not even up for discussion where's the pay increase for educators that's not even up for discussion so again dr johnson it goes back to what you said we prefer action over apathy get off of the couch get off of facebook and start writing your congressman start trying to get these legislators to do some reform in terms of making it right by our teachers and our healthcare workers in this particular time being that we're faced with such a pandemic as COVID-19 that's all I would have to say but I think you touched on an interesting point and you know it was definitely a hot button issue for me because my wife is in the healthcare industry somewhat being that she's a pharmacy technician so she's being exposed to the sick population on a daily basis so her chances of contracting the virus is greatly increased just by simply going to work every day to earn a living
2: Mm -hmm. mrs love he said somewhat i didn't so uh it's not my fault he's on the couch
0: (laughs) (laughs) Hey, man, she proud of it. I don't mind saying that, man. My wife, you know, she loves being a pharmacy technician. She loves helping people. It definitely contributes to her quality of life to come home knowing that she's helped someone throughout the course of her day. So I don't mind saying that.
2: Oh, I agree. I agree. It's just a somewhat comment when she uh, listens to the show that, uh, yeah, yeah, you got the answer for that one. And, and no editing it out, uh, sir.
0: Hey, I ain't worried about it. She hit me right now. I'm surprised she didn't came out of the room and started choking me <laughs> while I was trying to say it. But I mean, I know she understands the predicament she's in. Absolutely. So I'm not worried about that at all. Absolutely. But I would say Absolutely. that I have to sincerely say not just because my wife is in the healthcare industry, but I do think that those who have to test the people with the virus and all of that, everyone in the healthcare industry. Is taking a roll of the dice on a daily basis.
1: Absolutely. So
0: I truly agree that they should at least receive some kind of hazard pay.
2: This week's in excellence. Absolutely. If nothing else, they got this week in excellence from us.
0: So that's it. Hey,
2: special shout out to all of my respiratory therapists. This is a respiratory illness. uh Running those ventilators, running those BiPAP machines, those HEPAP machines, uh, doing those breathing treatments. Uh, doing CPT, uh, chest physiotherapy. Thank you for all you do. This guy.
0: All right, guys. Closing remarks. I'll did the remark on this week in excellence.
1: Oh, I, I, I will absolutely agree. I think there was nothing else to be said. Uh, big ups to the healthcare workers. Uh, my current boo thing is also a lab. Hey, man. Lab, <laughs> <laughs> he's a he, hey. He's a, a medical lab tech, so he he's literally the one running the test So and he he's at risk every day. So I'm I'm you know absolutely covering him in the blood. Uh, and, and you know all of them be safe. Ooh,
0: Carlos, it's serious. We shouting out boo thing. I know, right? <laughs> hey, hey, he done moved up a notch or two, huh? <laughs> <laughs> Hey, it's hey, it's on wax now. No takes back.
2: <laughs> that's it.
0: Hey, that's it. But seriously, guys, closing remarks.
2: So one thing I would like to say is that again, even though we, we like having uh lighthearted conversations, we go we go between the serious and 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 take our little jabs. Uh and and a bit jovial at times, but one thing I we definitely want you to get from the show is the fact that there are options and opportunities. We talked a lot about finance. This show was was around finance and that there are programs out there. So let's talk about home ownership. There are FHA home ownership programs to all of my veterans, the veteran home ownership program, a VA home loan. There are opportunities out there. The American dream is still there, but it's something you're going to have to fight for. The climate may, the financial climate may not be uh, fair, but you, that doesn't mean you give up. So there are opportunities out there. We've talked about educational opportunities, uh, when, you know, having that conversation about college, that there are different options out there. One of my heroes, Booker T. Washington, talked about how we have to build the foundation from entry level or, and not entry level positions, but you can't, sometimes you have to start, have a starting point that's an entry point into an industry, being that assistant, being an uh, apprentice. Apprenticeship programs are a great way to, to get education. There are a number of apprenticeship pra- programs across the country, but letting that be the foot in the door, that's my own path, starting with respiratory therapy, finishing with a doctorate, that just get your foot in the door, build a foundation first, and Booker T. Washington definitely uh, uh, believed in that. And, and your dream,
0: only dies if you let it. There it is. If you don't quit, you will make it, Queen.
1: So, um, I'll I'll plug the educational resources. Then, um, usually in times like this, <clears throat> um, parents start to look at homeschooling as an option. Um, I would like to encourage you to also uh, don't just try to homeschool your kids on your own. Look to attach yourself to a school. There are several viable options out there. Um, and I'll go ahead and plug a few of them for you. Laurel Springs School is a great distance learning school. It does have three different modalities of learning. So even for small children, <clears throat> they can do distance learning. Um, they have project based, text based and online curriculum for older students. And then most states have K-12. So K-12 is the public option online school. Um, although it is a corporation, K-12 has Uh, agreements with a lot of school districts across the nation. So you can go to to school for free with K-12. Again, K-12 is a free option that is usually offered through your local school district. Then you also have Connections Academy. Uh, Connections Academy is also um, an online option for distance learning. Um, And I'll also give you some online tutorials khan academy is a great resource for students and i mean there is everything from a to z on khan academy so those of you uh mothers and fathers who are out there struggling with that new math you don't have to struggle anymore use khan academy because you don't know how to do it no how khan academy will show you how to do that new math.
2: That's it. so quick question is lower springs going to pay us for a sponsorship That's the second
0: time you mentioned them. I was just (laughs) just saying, she be playing in Lloyd's Spring. They must have an immaculate distance learning program. Because I
1: work there. Um, that's why I plug Laurel Springs and and it it, it is because I saw firsthand and I'm a believer in it, but I will reach out to, I will reach out to them since I have plugged them twice. Uh. But again, I only plug things that I know firsthand that work. So those, there are others out there, but the ones that I mentioned, I know about.
2: So, uh, Laurel Springs, you can reach us at ChewingTheFat at gmail.com. That's C-H-E-W-I-N-T-H-A, Fat, F-A-T, at gmail.com. We take all forms of payment, and we even have PayPal. So,
0: Well, guys, my closing remarks will be, If you want to realize your American dream, then you have to be vigilant about achieving your American dream. You have to have a plan in place to be able to reach that dream because it has been said that he who fails to plan plans to fail. So, that being said, you have to map it out. Give yourself a road map as to how you're going to achieve your American dream and go after it with well vigilance. Said. Well said. Dr. Johnson, do you have anything to add, my astute friend?
2: Uh, well, listeners, I just found out we're available on Apple Podcasts. We're available on Spotify. We're available on Google Podcasts. If you like us, share us with a friend. We know you're sitting at home. Let us entertain you. And again, we're always open to ideas. You want to leave a voicemail. You want to leave an email message at chewingthefats at gmail.com. And just let, let us know that you're out there and just know that we're with
0: you. I would say also if you have suggestive topics that you would like for us to cover, then send us that via email or via the platforms in the form of comments or whatever you need to do but we're open to discussing whatever topics that you guys are interested in hearing.
2: Except Diamond and Silk. <laughs> Except
0: silk. He, 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 hey, he's he, not going to let it go. He, he knows it's a button for you, so he's going to press that button. He knows that I'm triggered. He knows that that's a
1: trigger. He knows that I'm triggered
0: by that. One, this is one true. Of these
1: day, one of these days, I'm not going to play into that. I'm not going to play into that trigger.
0: Hey, that's the only way it's going to stop. I can promise you that. I can promise you that. That's the only way. But yes, guys, I definitely appreciate you guys tuning in, listening to the podcast once again. Please give us your comments, your feedback, or whatever you have for us. We are here for you. Whatever you would like to hear, whatever topics you would like for us to cover, That's what we're here for. Let us know what kind of content you want us to publish, and we will provide it for you. Guys, this has been Chewing the Fat. I thank you guys for tuning in. Good night, and we'll see you guys next week.